Pastor Xavier Reese and the high cost of discipleship. If we really are going to be the Church of Jesus Christ, then we're not going to have it easy all the time. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said, If you plan to be lazy, there are plenty of occasions in which you will not be wanted. But above all, you are not wanted in the Christian ministry. We need men who have walked with God to be in the church. So important. Pauls, that's what they are. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Love is patient, kind, and forgiving, but it also wants the best for the other person. Today, as he continues his exploration of the book of 1 Thessalonians, Pastor Xavier examines why the Apostle Paul loved this particular church with so much passion and concern. Here he is with today's Simple Truths study titled, Love Greeting. Have you ever watched some of the uh, film clips of the old German concentration camps where the parents were forced to leave their children and they were shipped off somewhere else? I can't imagine anything more agonizing and torturous than to be torn away from my children and not know what's become of them. This was exactly what had happened to Paul. He had been forced out of Thessalonica because of persecution. And it was hindered time and time again from going back. Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 tells us that. Remember, he is writing this letter with the heart of a father concerned for his children who are infants in Christ. They're newborn. They are unable to defend themselves to an extent And yet, as we'll see, God is so faithful in those difficult times. By the way, this is 20 years after Jesus Christ. It's not that long. As you know, Paul had sent Timothy from Athens to establish and encourage them in their faith and persecution. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 tells us that as he reports that to them, reminding them. And having received good news of their faith and love, desiring to see... Paul and the others again, by the words of Timothy, as he came back to Corinth and and, and met Paul, he writes this love letter. Paul is like his usual manner and custom. He writes the letter to that of the day. So whenever you read the New Testament letters, this is the pattern of the day. And it opens up with the salutation and greeting which is the shortest of all of his epistles. So we want to look at three things in the opening verses. Now, usually I take an in-depth message as we move progressively forward. I'm breaking the rule. I'm going back. I want to touch on verse 1. I feel the Lord would lead me to do this. So let me read this verse. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very simple, very straightforward, seems real easy to just fly by it, and yet there is so much here in view of the biblical understanding of all that Paul is saying here. So we want to look at three things, the identity of the writer, the identity of the reader, and the identity of the regards. The identity of the writer, notice Paul was the founder of the church, this is a given, his coming to Thessalonica was by Direction of the Holy Spirit, as you know. 
He was hindered from preaching in Asia and Bithynia. And then he received a vision at Troas. A man of Macedonia said, come over and help us. He ended up at Philippi. There at Philippi, he had broken into Europe for the very first time. God was moving into new territories. God was directing. It wasn't Paul's idea. It was God. And this is so important for you and myself to understand. That as you and I yield ourselves to God, He will move you into new areas. He will pull you out. He will not allow you to do certain things. To redirect you, reroute you. And sometimes we get upset at God's interventions or interruptions or even hindrances. Listen. You should thank God for everything that's come into your life and mine. Because He's in control if I'm walking in obedience. Now, Philippi was the first church established in Europe. God, as you know, saved Lydia, some of the women that were there in the river, because there wasn't enough men for a synagogue. I believe tens the number. And they got saved, and the demon-possessed girl got saved, and because of that, they got thrown in jail, and they got beaten. And then afterwards, they found out they were Romans. They asked them to leave very politely. Paul moving on the Ignatius Road, the Ignatius Highway, a very travel road towards the city of Thessalonica, a very commercial city having a tremendous seaport. He was about to establish the second church in Europe. It was here in Thessalonica. Paul the Apostle, his name means little. That's what Paul means. And most likely, it is in direction to his physical stature. You know, we're weird as Americans. We get real hung up with nicknames, like if they're almost derogatory. And so we'll go along with them when we're little and young. But then as we get older, don't call me that no more. You know, But in other countries, those names stick with you till you die. And though they could imply a derogatory or a poking fun at, they don't. They have an endearment, a love relationship given to that individual by their parents or whatever because they love them. And they don't seem to mind them. My nickname growing up was Chaparro, which means shorty. (laughs) Didn't bother me. My dad still called me that. And I was 44 years old before he died. I never got to a point, Dad, don't, you know, I've been so. I knew it was love. And yet here, Paul the Apostle, without any doubt, and related to his stature, we think Paul, this tall, strong man. Maybe not. The name certainly describes an accurate view of himself before God, even to the point that he calls himself the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called because he persecuted the church in 1 Corinthians 15.9. A beautiful picture of his own perspective before God, very small, insignificant, not seeking glory, even as he tells them in chapter 2 there, verse 6, that they did not seek glory from man, either from, um, from them or others, when they might have made demands as apostles of Christ. His name before being called Paul, was Saul, as you know, which means ask or pray. Before the Damascus experience, Paul was asking the Jewish leaders to give him letters to go incarcerate and kill Christians. He was asking to do 
God's bidding in an extreme religious manner without understanding and knowledge. The most dangerous people are religious people. Because religious people will kill you if you don't agree with them or if you try to convert them. I don't know of any Christians who ever kill somebody because they won't agree with them. Now, some people may say they're Christians and do it, but that doesn't make them a Christian. When people reject the gospel, we pray for them. But religious people, they'll kill you. Now he was planting churches throughout Asia Minor. Into Europe. What a difference. His name has no qualification here. Notice a lot of times he, in his other 11 epistles, he has apostle, servant, but not here. Now some say that is because his apostleship really was not being attacked here. But if you read chapter 2, even into the major portion of chapter 3, you know that there was already slanderous remarks and lies about him that he left because he is a coward and he didn't care about them, which he again clears up there. Um, by the way, he does call himself as well as Silas and Timothy apostles in chapter 2 verse 6. All three of them apostles sent out. Now notice secondly, we have Silvanus. Silvanus, his fellow labor, his name is from the Latin mythology, mythological god uh, Silvan, uh, who was, by the way, the protector of the sheep from the wolves. How interesting and prophetic that Silas or Silvanus, whichever you prefer, was sent as one of the leading men uh, in Jerusalem to go out with Paul uh, to give the decrees that the Gentiles did not have to be under circumcision in the Jewish law, caring for the flock. How prophetic of his old name. He became Paul's partner in the second missionary journey, as you know. And Paul and Barnabas had... Planned to go out, but there was a parting. There was a disagreement because of John Mark in Acts fifteen forty, And so Barnabas took his nephew, John Mark, and Silas went out with Paul. And really the missionary journey and the territory doubled. So it was good. They covered twice as much territory. Now, he was a prophet also. Acts fifteen thirty two tells us that. He was a Roman citizen. Acts 16, 37 and 38 tells us that. Kind of good little credentials to have when you're traveling through the Roman Empire. He was beaten in prison as we share with Paul there in Philippi. Going along with it. Yielding and obeying the Lord. Because they knew that God was in control. He was at the founding of the church here which they're writing to. And he had fled with Paul to Berea because the Jews came to Thessalonica and they heard that Paul was at Berea and then they chased him out of Berea also and Paul went to Athens, remember. And it was from Athens that he told the messengers that left him there to tell Silas and Timothy to come to him. In fact, he tells them that later on in chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 there. So he was there along with Paul. He knew the history of the church. He knew how the church came about. He knew it was God's direction. It wasn't man's doing. That's very important when men are working and God is doing a work. That they understand that what's going on and what has happened is God's doing and not their own. It's not because they're clever. Not because they're manipulating. Not because they've got some kind of good backing or anything else. But because God is the one that's doing the work. So important. As Timothy came back to Corinth, he told them of the good news. Hey, these guys are okay. They're, they're strong, they're praying for you, they want to see you again. So Paul was relieved 
Silas moved on later on, and he joined himself to Peter. As a matter of fact, Peter in 1 Peter 5.12 calls him a faithful brother. Silas says, those that just come in and, and they stand in the gap. And when people leave or Lord takes them home, they just keep on working. They join themselves with someone else. They're not interested in being pointed at. They're not interested in... They're just, they're just there. So important. Notice thoroughly we have Timothy. The faithful apprentice. He is mentioned in Paul's epistles and Acts 20 four times his name means he who knows God good name he who knows God he is first mentioned as having a good report from those around the city of Lystra as well as Iconium and Paul took him on a second missionary journey in Acts 16 1 through 3 so from a young man he already had a good reputation about being a godly man being used by God Without doubt, Timothy was saved in Paul's first missionary journey and very possible saw Paul get stoned. And as he laid there thinking to be dead, which in fact he was dead because it says in 2 Corinthians he was caught up to the third heaven and then he returned. And then he shook himself off and went back in the city. He must have said, man, this guy. And there was probably an affinity that just clicked them together, even as Jonathan and David his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. Therefore, Paul took and circumcised him, as you know, because Paul always went to the Jewish synagogue first. He didn't want to hassle it. And yet when the Jews try to compel Titus to be circumcised, not in your life. He's a Gentile. You don't have to be circumcised if you're a Gentile. So he says, if culture doesn't contradict, do it. But when culture tries to be gospel, no. Or if it contradicts gospel, it has to go. Very simple principle. And you find that in Acts 16, 1 through 3. Now, he had a godly grandmother. Her name was Lois and his mother's name was Eunice. And they both had raised him in the scriptures. 2 Timothy 1, 5 and 3, 14 says, Mommies, raise your children in God. Mommies, be around for your children. If there's ever a day for you to raise your children in the scriptures, it is today. And we are in a place today. I know it's. Not maybe what you want to hear, but you need to be at home. Your investment is your children. They're the church of tomorrow. Count the cost when you're married. Count the cost of your children. 20 years, 25 goes by real fast. In a blink. And when you get there, it'll be worthwhile. I guarantee you. He was timid, sickly. So Paul told him to take a little wine for his stomach's sake in 1 Timothy 5.23. For medicinal purposes, not to loosen up, okay? <laughs> now, it's funny how the picture we have of people sometimes, you know, we wouldn't choose him. He's timid. We think that all, you know, we have this picture of, a, of the Christian circuit of these handsome, tall guys and real assertive and all that. But for the most part... God calls timid people, and, and they are bold, and, and they are straightforward from the pulpit. But once they're out of the pulpit, they're kind of quiet. They a great evidence that it's God's anointing and God's doing through the person's life. We have this facade, this thing, where like a lot of pastors, you know, they send their pictures for conference, stuff like that. They send a 10-year-old picture. And then they get up, they go, man, he aged from L.A. to New York. Um, <laughs> 
Paul had no one like-minded but Timothy or like Timothy. That's quite a statement in Philippians 2, 19 through 22. Of all the guys that were around him, he says, man, Timothy, that's him. He's my troubleshooter. I sent him to Philippi, to Corinth, to Macedonia. I sent him to you. I sent him everywhere. He's a great guy. He calls him beloved, bond servant, faithful son. Acts 19, 22, 1 Corinthians 4, 17, and Philippians 1, 1, and 2, 19. Incredible. Now, he was sent, as you know, with Silas. And they went back to check out the Thessalonians because he was afraid of their being shaken by the persecution in chapter 3, verse 1 through 2 there. And, and Paul calls him his son in the faith as he leaves him as the pastor of the church of Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. An incredible young man. The book of Hebrews tells us that he was imprisoned and released. So he suffered greatly also. Like Paul, Hebrews 13, 23. Men who had been touched, transformed, and used by God as the Thessalonians. You see, they were just like the Thessalonians. No different. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said, If you plan to be lazy, there are plenty of occasions in which you will not be wanted. But above all, you are not wanted in the Christian ministry. The man who finds the ministry an easy life will also find that it brings a hard death. Sometimes we think that the church is a place of entertainment, and I'm glad we have fun. But it isn't. And we get a lot of that because of the way people have portrayed the church today. If we really are going to be the church of Jesus Christ, then we're not going to have it easy all the time. We certainly don't want to walk around and say, oh yeah, we just suffer. No, not like that. Oh, is me. No. The church needs older men. Older men in Christ. Fathers who have known God from the beginning. Those who have walked with Jesus for many years and counted the cost. Having both the practical experience and the proven wisdom of life. 1 John 2.14 We need men who have walked with God to be in the church. So important. Pauls, that's what they are, who are called and anointed to pour themselves into other men. Pauls who have a love for the sheep and passion for the flock. They're faithful. They're around. You ever notice that a father just has to be around? He doesn't have to say anything. His very presence makes all the difference in the family. It is very evident now that my father is gone when we get together on Christmas, stuff like that. His presence is not there. It makes a difference. The very presence. Fathers. The church needs young men who are strong in the word, abiding in them and overcoming the wicked one. First John 2.14 These are Silas's. Silas's who are companions of Paul's and are loyal and faithful because they do it as unto the Lord. Silas's who compliment Paul's with their gifts and servant type attitude. They just enhance the church. They make it richer. But the church also needs children who are touched by God's spirit. Knowing that their sins are forgiven. To become the students and the helpers of the church as they grow in Christ in order to stand in the gap 
when the fathers and young men are taken home by the Lord. It's like playing baseball. You're in the hole, you're on deck, you're up. Now, when my grandfather was alive, I was in the hole towards death. Then he died, then I was on deck. Or literally, a little bit more back. But when my father died, I'm next up. There's no pinch hitter. And so it should be in the church. You move from children to young men to fathers. And you move through life. And you're being used of God. And you're progressing. You're maturing. And you're building a history. A history with your Lord. A history with the people of God. A history with the church. Listen people. At heart, we love this history. In family, in church. But society teaches us to be quitters. We're the people of God. We're not quitters. Timothy's, who have been touched by God and their youth to respond to the call of God. How it thrills my heart when I see a lot of young men who have God has raised up and through the years they've stepped out and they used to scream thinking they were singing in the nursery. Now they're up here playing in the band. That's great. <laughs> Move right on up. Timothy's, who will make a difference in the world, beacon lights of the church. So important. So, this was the identity of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now notice, secondly, you have the identity of the reader. The church of the Thessalonians. And this identifies their earthly locality. Mark that well. Only here in Second Thessalonians does Paul uh, use the phrase, church of the Thessalonians. A local assembly. Paul usually uses the term addressing them, the saints. But he doesn't here. He just says to the church of Thessalonians. Now, Paul uses the term church here for the universal church in Scripture. He uses it for an assembly of believers. He uses it as a local church. And he uses it as a house church. That's the four ways the word church is used. Here he's using it for the local church. A geographical location at a set place. Now, the Galatians, Paul calls and addresses to the churches, plural. That's the only time he uses that. So here, the only time he dresses it this way. Now, as you know, the word ecclesia is made of two words. Ek, out from, and kaleo, to call. So the church is really the called out assembly. The called out of God. The word is found 115 times in the New Testament. 62 times it is found in Paul's epistles. It is through Paul that we understand the description, the definition, and the picture to its full extent of what the church is. Notice Paul is distinguishing the people of the church of Thessalonica from the assemblies in the city. The context will always tell you whether it's the church of Christ or an assembly of another kind. So now, they were now completely free. Remember they were Roman citizens? They were a free city, able to rule themselves, to govern themselves. Now they were really free, an assembly called out free to govern themselves, not having to be ruled by sin. Boy, what a liberty that is. Now they could please the living God. That's a good purpose to be called out for. Again, Jesus said, I will build my church. It is he who does it, not man. Pastor Xavier Reese and the one true head of the church and his plan for his people. 
And you can find this program online to hear any portion you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And there's much more to come next time as well. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can pick up your own personal copy of this message. The title to ask for is Love Greeting. It's available on CD for only $4. And you can pass this study on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Once again, the title to ask for is Love Greeting, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This way we can keep track of the impact of this ministry in your area. Who's going to get to heaven? Don't miss the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese explaining the incredible mystery of salvation. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 